chapter 14, verse 27, and we'll be just camping out in verse 27 uh, for most of our time together here today. I'll begin by reading the, the verse which is giving us our Advent series that we've been going through these last few weeks. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and then I'll go to John chapter 14, verse 27, which will give us most of our time here today, together today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then John chapter 14, verse 27 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The ace of knaves, the harlequin of hate, the jester of genocide, the mime of destruction. These are all names, titles that are occasionally given to the Joker, the arch nemesis of Batman. But his most common alienist, alias, you, you know, besides the Joker, that's not what his mother named him. His given Christian name is not the Joker. It's something else that we don't know. But his most common other alias is the clown prince of crime. So this week, as I was preparing to talk about Jesus' title, the Prince of Peace, we've been going through this series during Advent from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And now we've arrived today at Prince of Peace. And as I was preparing to talk about this phrase, Prince of Peace, I decided to do a little thinking about the Joker's title, the clown prince of crime. Because I always liked the phrase. I thought it was a, a cool nickname that he was able to be given. So I never really thought much about it. But he's called the Clown Prince as a play on words from the Crown Prince. That's a title given specifically to the heir apparent. The, the next in line for the throne is the Crown Prince of whatever that country is, wherever that kingdom is. So we shouldn't spend too much time today thinking about why he's the Clown Prince of Crime rather than the Clown King of Crime because of the play on words. But he's still given that royal title and moniker because he's the royalty of crime. He's the first and foremost of all those who commit crimes. So to some extent, I think we should keep that same idea in mind when we call Jesus the Prince of Peace today, as the text does. Don't focus so much on prince as opposed to king, because we know he's also the king of kings. But when we hear Prince of Peace, I think we should understand that as a royal status. Yes, he's the royalty of peace. But I think prince is chosen specifically in Isaiah 9, 6, because first of all, it's emphasizing a son who is to be born. For to us, a son will be born. A child is given. That's what the verse says. So it's creating some kind of sense of expectations, connecting back to this idea within the titles so that you know it's still the son who is to be born that the prophecy is talking about. That same son who is born and child is given is the one who is going to be the prince of peace, even though it's just to call him the mighty God, the everlasting father, the wonderful counselor. It also calls him the prince of peace, the son of God, the royalty of peace. But I think peace is also chosen on purpose here because it's creating some kind of sense of expectation. When you talk about the prince who is promised, you know that the rule of that prince hasn't arrived yet. You know, it's not here yet in the same way that it will be someday. But you also know by calling someone the crown prince, 
the prince who is to come, you know that that rule, that kingdom is coming. So this child who is to be born is called the prince of peace. And that fact should cause us to eagerly expect the peaceful rule of this royal son. Just as when you know crime is coming because of the arrival of the clown prince of crime, you should know that peace is coming because of the arrival of the prince of peace. And I say all that now as an introduction because I'm going to focus a lot today on the peace of the prince of peace rather than the, the princeness, the princedom, the princeosity of the prince of peace won't be the focus of what we're talking about today. It's going to be focused on the peace of the Prince of Peace. And from today's text, that one verse, we'll be able to see four ways that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The first way we see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace from today's text is because he gives us peace. That's actually the central thrust of what he's saying in verse 27 in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Everything else flows from the fact that he's sharing with them that he is giving peace to the disciples. And by extension, he's giving it to us, his people. And he's just giving it to us. I'm tempted here to compare Christ giving us the gift of his peace with us giving gifts to each other at Christmas. But that's not really the same, is it? We call what we do a gift exchange. Yes, I will be giving my wife gifts on Christmas morning. But I think, I'm pretty sure, as far as I can tell, she is also going to be giving gifts to me on Christmas morning. They're not wrapped. They're not under the tree. I guess they don't technically exist yet. But I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm going to be receiving gifts just as I am giving gifts to her. So we're exchanging them. And then, when I give her something she doesn't like, something she didn't ask for, She is once again going to exchange that gift with Amazon for something better, something that she actually likes, something she would actually want. These gifts are going back and forth. We are reciprocating the gifts. And if that didn't happen, there would be a problem for most of us at Christmas time, I think. I think if you showed up to your family gift exchange with absolutely nothing, but you left with all the stuff that everyone else gave you, I think that's the only year that that's going to happen. I think by the time the next year rolls around, they're going to say, hey, if we're going to get you something, you probably should get us something in return. This is a gift exchange. This isn't just your birthday where we're just going to throw stuff at you and you don't have to do anything with it. It's a gift exchange at Christmas time. But Jesus here isn't exchanging gifts with his people. He's not exchanging gifts with his disciples. He doesn't exchange gifts with us. He's just giving them the gift of peace freely without charge or price. It's a gift with absolutely nothing expected in return. Because you having the gift of his peace is what he actually wants. That's what he's looking for. The driving force for why he came was to make peace between himself and his people. Colossians 1 verses 19 and 20 says this. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. While there are certainly more effects and more goals behind all that he did, making peace, ushering in peace between God and man, that's absolutely central to what he came to do, who he is as the Prince of Peace. 
Without that result of peace, it's hard to see how anything else really matters that he does. If he came and did a lot of things, if he came and fed 5,000 people every day with only five loaves and two fish, but did not create peace between man and God, I don't think those people are actually better off. We certainly aren't better off. Without the result of peace, it's hard to see how anything else would really matter. But by his person and work, by him being the perfect and holy God who can satisfy the justice of God, and also being man so that man can be saved, by his virgin birth, his sinless life, his death died in your place and for your sin, by his resurrection through which sin and death have been defeated, by his ascension into heaven to rule and reign over all things, by that person, by those works, he has won peace for his people. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. And now he's given that peace to us, which he has won for us. We receive that ultimate peace with God through repentance and faith. We believe it's true and put all our trust, all our hope in those facts for us. And we continue deciding to no longer continue in our sins the way we used to live, but rather to follow him and his designs for our lives. That's how he gives us the peace that he has won for us. But that peace that he gives us isn't just a one-time gift which then goes away. It's a one-time gift that never fades, that never perishes. Look back in verse 27. Peace I leave with, I leave with you. He left it with us. His peace never leaves us because it has been left with us. The context of that verse in John 14 is talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When Jesus is talking about leaving his peace with the disciples, most immediately, most directly what he's talking about is leaving the Holy Spirit with his disciples. So that even as he leaves, they know that God is still with them. God is still indwelling them from the time that the Holy Spirit is given to them to the time when they see God face to face. The early church fathers, when they talked about this idea, they loved this idea so much, this language so much, when talking about the Holy Spirit, that they used it as a shorthand for his name. They called him the gift of God, the love of God. And he's the gift of God which is left with us, and by which we know that that gift is never going to leave us because he has left it with us. A never-ending peace is exactly what the verse in Isaiah is talking about because it continues in the next verse. Isaiah 9, 6 gave us this sermon series. Isaiah 9, 7 continues to explain exactly what it's talking about. Isaiah 9, 7 says this, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is coming to be the Prince of Peace, to usher in his peace. And that peace is not going away because he has left it with us. He has given it to us. So we know he's the Prince of Peace because he gives peace to his people. It's a perfect peace that was won by his gospel won by his cross. It's never going to leave us because he's left it with us. But we can also know that he is the Prince of Peace from this verse in John 14 because he has peace to give. The peace belongs to him. Verse 27, still. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's his peace. My peace I give to you. And you can only give someone what you already have, what you already possess. It's his peace. He owns it. It belongs to him. In him is contained enough peace, not only to have, but to give to someone else. To countless someone else's. When we think of God, who he is and what he's like, peace should be one of those ideas that's toward the forefront of our minds. And I understand that in our time, the concepts of God's justice, the concepts of God's wrath, which comes against those who violate his justice, those are things we don't really like, things we don't really talk about very much. They're functionally taboo. We do ignore those concepts too much. But I don't think the solution to an underemphasis on God's justice and wrath is to become people who talk about God's justice and wrath all the time. To become people who only talk about God's justice and wrath, who only talk about how much he hates sin. Because that's not how Scripture talks about it. That's not how God talks about it. That's not what he did. He didn't leave us as recipients of his wrath and justice. Instead, he made peace. I think the solution is to rightly understand his justice and wrath so that we get where Scripture is wanting us to go with those ideas. So that we land on the concept of God's peace, which he makes, creates, and gives to his people. His goal is for you to have peace with him. To be in a relationship of love with him. And that peace, when you really understand it, it's not a cheap peace. It's not simply the absence of conflict. It's peace which has been won through conflict. It's a victorious peace. It's a peace that only exists because Christ has defeated the power of sin and death on the cross. Through his person, through his work, he has won that peace that he's able to give to us. He's executed the, ju- the justice of God and absorbed the wrath of God. And therefore, he has this peace, which now he is able to give to us. Which now he gives to us freely as a gift. Which now we are able to enjoy forever. The everlasting rule of the Prince of Peace. And what a comfort that is. That he has peace to give. And that he does give it. I think of this concept every Christmas when I'm reading what is my favorite book of all time, A Christmas Carol. I try to read it every year. It's not that long. It doesn't take very long. If I can't read it, I'll definitely watch at least one version of A Christmas Carol every year. I love that story. And in that story, the ghost of Jacob Marley has appeared in the night to warn Ebenezer Scrooge of the errors of his ways. To warn him that he's going to be visited by three spirits. Scrooge's life has been so hard, so cruel, that it's unlikely he's going to be able to avoid the fate of impending doom that's coming for him. A fate even worse than Marley's. He has even longer chains than what Marley wears. But Marley's come to warn him of that doom and gloom anyway. And when Scrooge hears all these facts, when he's faced with the reality of his situation, he's trembling, and in a state of distress, he pleads with the ghosts, he says this, Jacob, he said imploringly, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. 
Marley's ghost has no comfort to give. But that's not what the Holy Ghost is like. That's not what Jesus is like. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is not Jacob Marley. He has comfort to give. He has peace to give. It doesn't come from other regions. You're hearing it here and now. It doesn't come from other ministers. He's telling it to us himself in this verse in John 14. It doesn't come for other kinds of men. It comes for men and women just like you and me. Just like us. The worst of the worst. The vilest of sinners. He has peace and comfort to give to us. And the peace he has is peace like he is. It not only belongs to him, it is a peace that is like him. It's his kind of peace. We'll look next week on Christmas Day a little more at why Scripture tells us that Jesus shall be called these things in Isaiah 9-6. Why he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor. Why he is the Mighty God. Why he is the Everlasting Father. Why he is the Prince of Peace. But today, I think we need to remember that just as he is the Prince of Peace, he is still those other things as well. So the peace that you receive from the Prince of Peace has been sent to you also from the Wonderful Counselor. The one who knows you. And loves you. And with all the wisdom he possesses. Is giving to you exactly what you need. It's peace sent to you from the mighty God. Who is exercising all his might. All of his power. To sovereignly save even someone like you. Where you might expect his might to come against you. To squash you. Rather it's coming for you. To save you. To make peace with you. For you and in you. You're receiving the peace of the everlasting Father who never changes. So your peace is never going to go away. Philippians 4, 7 says this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace you're receiving belongs to him and is like him. And that simple fact should surpass all of our understanding. That's the peace we receive from the Prince of Peace. And this peace is nothing like the world's peace. That's the third way this text shows us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Because the peace he has is not like the world's. It is simply different. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world has a cheap knockoff. They have an imitation kind of peace, but it's not the real thing. It's not the genuine article. It's the Sam's brand. It's the Walmart brand peace. When two countries are at war and then there's a peace treaty, that's not so much peace as it is a scoreboard usually. Someone won. Someone lost. But God's peace to you isn't like that. When we get what we call peace and quiet, for so many of us, that never actually happens. When we're faced with the true silence of quiet, with the true stillness of peace, that's when our anxious minds tend to take over. That's when those darker thoughts that we have start to creep in. What should be a time of peace and quiet actually becomes torture. As our own inner turmoil surpasses any chaos that could have come at us from the outside. Any peace we might think we see or find outside of him just isn't the real thing. Any peace we might find anywhere else isn't the same. Because you can't get true peace unless you get it from Jesus. 
The peace of the world can't be the peace of Christ because it's the world's peace. It has a different source. It is fundamentally different from the get-go. You can't expect to go to a different place for your peace and end up with the same thing. It's like when you were a kid and you wanted your mom to get McDonald's while you were out on your way home. If your mom was like mine, what did she say more times than not? No, we have food at home. We're not stopping to get food here. We have food at home. But it's not the same, is it? It's different. Even if the food at home is supposedly the same food, even if it's also chicken nuggets and fries, it's different. It's from a different source. You can't go home for your food and expect it to taste like going to McDonald's for your food. It is from a different source. As good a cook as my mother is, she can't do it like McDonald's does it. It's from a different source. It's different. The peace of Jesus is different because it comes from a different source, which is him. We receive his peace through him, from him, by him, and in him. John 16, says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The peace he gives us is not like the peace the world has to offer, because it's in him. And he has overcome the world. So now we know his peace is even greater than the world's peace. It's not just different, it is better. And he gives it differently. It's different on a fundamental level. It's from a different and greater source. But the method we receive it is also different. He just gives it differently than they do. Not as the world gives do I give to you. From the text, the the focus on the difference of peace, the focus on his peace versus the world's peace, isn't in where it comes from, isn't in how good it is. It's on how you actually receive it. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The focus is the method through which we receive that peace, through which the peace is given to us. You see, the world, when it gives peace, it always gives it as part of a transaction. It's a works-based system. If you think back to the warring countries analogy, the, analogy, the, the peace treaty is only signed if both parties, both countries, agree to the terms. It only stays in effect if neither party ever breaks the treaty. Both countries have to hold up their side of the agreement, and neither country can fulfill the other nation's part of the treaty. What you do as a result of that treaty is all that matters. And that same concept works with anything we see in the peace of the world. It's all transactional. You only have peace of mind if everyone else will agree not to upset you. You only have peace with your family if they agree not to ask you about that one thing that you really don't want to talk to them about. You only have peace with the IRS if you file your taxes by April 15th and send them the right amount of money. It's all a transaction. None of the world's peace is or can be a gift. But the peace of the Prince of Peace is all gift. It's no transaction. He's simply giving it to the disciples. They can't do anything to earn this peace because their behavior... Their inability to keep the laws of God created the grounds which made this peace necessary. Their sin, their rebellion, that warfare against God created the means through which we needed peace. They can't keep themselves in this peace because they didn't give it to themselves in the first place. They didn't win this peace. They didn't earn that peace. 
even the way we receive this same peace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we receive this peace. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We didn't earn it and we can't keep it. Our works don't help us at all. There is no transaction here in the peace that we have from Jesus Christ. It is only a gift that is given to us. And he gives his peace differently than the world gives. It's through faith that we receive his peace. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. So the way we get the peace is through our justification by faith. Which Ephesians said that faith, when we go up the chain far enough, that's a gift of God. So we didn't do anything to end up with the peace that we have, and yet he has given it to us freely. He has given it to us openly. Without anything that we could have done to earn it. The Prince of Peace has earned this peace. He has given it to us in a fundamentally different way than the world tries to go about these same things. His peace just isn't like the world's peace. It's not the same. He gives it differently. It's greater. It comes from a different source. And that brings us to the the final way we know that he is the Prince of Peace. His peace gives us comfort. That's the the result. It has a different result as well. His peace gives us comfort. And this comfort comes for our own hearts. Still in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This peace has come for our hearts. Just as he has peace to give. With his peace should come comfort because of his peace. And this comforts for our hearts. For the deepest and darkest parts of us. Down to the the messy core of who we really are down underneath. Even to those depths. This message of peace is intended to reach. There is no part of you that is beyond the depths of Christ's peace. There's no piece of you that cannot be reconciled through his blood. There's no past of yours that cannot be wiped away. And no future of yours that will ever go beyond its bounds. As this year comes to a close. As the holidays fizzle out. As the year ends, maybe not with a roar, but with a whimper. As you close the book on this past year, perhaps with despair. Perhaps with guilt, with shame, with that sin you just couldn't get over. With that conflict you just can't get out of. With that situation you just can't get around. With that health issue you just can't be free of. When it comes to that point in this year, no matter where you are, no matter how bad it has been. As you look at this past year with no hope. With no optimism as you look toward the next. Thinking only the next year can't possibly be better than this terrible year. It is only going to be worse. Know that the peace of the Prince of Peace is coming to you today for the comfort of your heart.
that God's solution to your terrible year was to send Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into the world. Your solution to your terrible situation was to send Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into the world. Not in a thin way that he just comes, show, comes and shows up and fixes our problems. He comes and shows up and fixes our deepest, darkest, hardest problems. He came for the reconciliation of our souls, that we might be saved through him and by him and in him. And in light of that peace that we have with God through these things, through who Christ is and what he has done, we have nothing to look forward to but hope, nothing to look forward to but optimism, knowing that our greatest days, our best days are always ahead of us. That is always true, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when you come to Christmas time, thinking, needing, hoping for glad tidings of comfort and joy and just not feeling them. The Prince of Peace is the one who came. And that peace can surpass all understanding and help even you in whatever situation you might be. The Prince of Peace is coming to you today for the comfort of your heart. So in light of that, we need not be troubled. We need not be afraid. Our troubles, as great as they may seem, pale in comparison to the joy which awaits us. The one who has overcome the world has ushered in his peace. And if that's true, then no other trouble ultimately matters. No other despair can possibly win. No other problem could possibly be greater than his solution. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. If you have peace with God, it doesn't matter what you don't have peace with. So we need not be troubled. We need not be afraid. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come to us, then we should have the full confidence that there is nothing God is withholding from those he loves. Nothing more that he could give to those he is giving freely to. Nothing that he's keeping in the back where the good stuff is. He is giving you the good and the best immediately and purposefully in Jesus Christ. He has given you a wonderful counselor. He has given you the mighty God. He has given you himself, the everlasting father. And he is sending you the peace of the Prince of Peace right now in this Christmas season. So God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Hear those glad tidings today. If this Christmas season has not lived up to the hype, let this be the day that you know it doesn't have to because one day it will. Let this be the day that you know it doesn't matter how many lights you see, how many parties you go to, how many gifts you give or receive. 
What matters is that the Prince of Peace has made peace. And you will receive that peace one day, even if you have not yet. Through him and in him. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to, to hear your word with your people. To see in your word who you are and what you've done for us. What you have planned for us. The benefits we receive through you and your gospel. Help us to also know how we can be partakers of this gospel. How we can receive this peace. Draw us to repentance. Draw us to faith. Let us be a people who know you and love you. And continue knowing you and loving you for the rest of our days. We need your peace. Desperately. So God, we're asking you to give it to us. Reconcile us to yourself. Save us. Love us. Give us the comfort that comes with your peace. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.